really from the opening retreat when without giving any spoilers away I won't but when the theory of God's kindness to you suddenly was enacted out to us I just lost it which I'm sure everyone did Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthart, part of the Wellspring team. At Wellspring and Soul Care, we deeply desire to see pastors and leaders, really everyone, lead and serve God and others from a well-tended inner life. We know the pressures and expectations leaders are facing these days are enormous and challenging, and we want to come alongside in ways that are meaningful and helpful so that they can thrive and flourish, not just survive. Today's podcast is a little different theme. At the heart of Wellspring is Soul Care, a nine-month cohort where we take pastors, nonprofit, and marketplace leaders to journey with us and one another in Jesus, to pay attention to and connect, be in conversation with their own soul and with God over this nine-month journey. We've been offering Soul Care cohorts for about 15 years, and we've seen God meet people in remarkable and transformative ways. And one of the amazing gifts of soul care is that it's all offered to participants free of charge, a demonstration and an experience of God's lavish, abundant love. But in order to do that, we have incredibly generous donors that make this possible. So this podcast today, in many ways, is really a thank you to them. And if that's you, from the bottom of our hearts, on behalf of all of these amazing people over the years, thank you. It's also an invitation to you to let God speak to you through these people's stories, to ask yourself, how can I become even more aware of and open to what God might be doing in and around me? Let God speak to you in these three conversations. Enjoy. Tom Shaw, it is uh, so great of you to take some time to be with us today, and um, we'll just jump right in. As someone who just completed the nine-month soul care experience, um, I want to just kind of back up the clock a little bit and just kind of what was happening in your life, in your world, um, as you that made you kind of want to lean into something like a soul care experience. Well, my wife and I and our three kids originally from England. We've been in the in California in the States for just under five years. So uh, a year ago, um, as we approached the four-year mark, uh, we're church planting in San Francisco. I mean, I think, honestly, it was, um, it was extraordinary timing um, because there was no silver bullet to make everything, all the pain go away. The the complexities and the uh, the difficulties uh, were legion, uh, were many. And so I think the attraction um, for towards the soul care course was that 
it didn't promise, I think, some kind of thing that would immediately fix everything. Oh. And it would actually, in a way, give you a vision to dive into the wave rather than oh. swim over it and try and avoid it. And it's rare, in my experience, to meet Bible-loving Christians who have a reference point for soul more than just the spirit. We talk a lot about the spirit, and I and I just uh, was so grateful um, at that time that there was this there was this group of older men and women who were physically near us. You know, we're six thousand miles from home from England. Um, honestly, wondering what on earth are we doing? We thought God had called us to this. I think He probably still has, but so many human things seem to be saying, "Give up, give up, give up." And, and then along comes this thing called soul care and uh, just the sort of feel, the um, gentleness, the wisdom of both the people running it, but also the content that they have put together um, at that moment couldn't have been more timely. Oh. Yeah, Tom, I mean... I mean, just as you, you alluded to it, but it's like you're, um, I mean, you're, I won't say immigrant, but you're foreign, foreign nationals, I guess you'd say, and yeah. you're far, you're far from home. Mm -hmm. You're in a, <clears throat> a ministry setting that is uh, challenging to say the least, the mm -hmm. city of San Francisco. You're, you're trying to, you're not just trying to keep something going. You're trying to launch something really, or just kind of get a church plant really going during the pandemic mm -hmm. so you don't have a lot of support of uh, you know relational um community hardly any kind of support and 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 you'd come out of i mean i won't get into your whole story but i know a bit of it that you came out of a, some re a really difficult ministry experience leading up to this church plant so i mean just a recipe for just a lot of weariness and mm -hmm. um and and being stretched to your very limits, it seems like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I vividly remember kind of at the beginning of the first opening retreat without giving away, you know, the secrets. <laughs> uh, you know, I just remember vividly, uh, even publicly, which is unlike me being a bit of a people pleaser, finding myself really, really angry at God. Mm. Um, which I've come to slowly realize is, is it can be actually a real health sign, but I certainly had no reference point for that. Uh, it felt dangerous ground. Uh, oh. but I, I think it, 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 it has been, I don't want to overstate it, but it, in many ways, really the last half a decade or even seven years has felt like a pruning time. I, I felt before that as a fairly young man, God, it was almost like seven years of plenty in terms of ministry. Oh. And then really has been this very protracted year upon year upon year of, you know, there's been lots of blessings within it, but overall feeling like, man, this is a very different landscape. God has, has called me to navigate and really kind of going into the soul care year was sort of, you know, into year seven of what I would say has felt like a, a protracted season of um, pruning and sort of 
testing. Yeah. So, and I've appreciated, honestly, since the first time I met you, Tom, even, I don't know, probably about a year ago, uh, that that you've just been pretty honest, though, about just, hey, I'm this is where I'm at. I mean, it's all is not okay. Um, mm. And yet I'm here, I'm clinging to God, but it, it's this is hard. Um, how, how did you sense God meeting you? I mean, you, you sh- as you showed up, even recognizing, I, mean, I think I'm actually pretty mad at God for, mm-hmm. you know, why, why have you let, let us here to, to what, to, yeah. you know, take us down or what is yes. this all about? Um, yes. How did God, how else did God meet you in, in this season? Well, in this last soul care year. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, there's a, I could talk for a long time. I think, um, yeah, that initial feeling of tremendous abandonment mm. um, and feeling like, you know, there's that scripture, which is actually, I think, quoted in a negative way, that the Israelites are like, Lord, have you brought us into the desert to lead us to die? Mm-hmm. And that was almost like an audible voice in my head for months. We're like, this is exactly what it feels like. like I have tried, you know, we put all of our kind of chips on this one thing, we've gambled everything left in a, in many ways, a dream scenario in England mm-hmm. and you have not been faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I'm not saying that is true, but it's felt like that. And, sure. um, you know, I think this year has been just an extraordinary year of God birthing something of a new vision for what I think midlife will look like um at a crucial moment really probably september october when i was really near burnout during actually the uh, retreat I, I vividly felt god start to speak in, in quite a vivid way that really has been quite profound in terms of how i view success and how i view reality mm. and it's much more about who i'm becoming rather than what i'm doing mm. um so that's been a huge thing I think a couple of other things that really stand out, I would say, um, particularly um, having a vision for Christ and his suffering, Hmm. which, um, again, because of my church tradition, I think, and just also my temperament, uh, if you're into Enneagram, I've got a lot of seven in me, so I hate pain. That was a very strange experience and completely life-changing to unhurriedly be led into meditating on that part of who Christ was on earth. Um, And it's been, it's just been completely life-changing for me in terms of understanding, well, if, if, if he, the greatest leader went through that, why would I ever imagine that my calling won't have strong echoes of that? Where on earth do I get this ridiculous notion that being a pastor, being a shepherd, following Christ should be this sort of recipe for quote unquote success? Mm. It's just complete. You can't get that from Jesus. It's not. It's not possible. You know. It's it's the opposite. Um, that's been tremendously liberating. And the other thing I think that soul care, apart from specific revelatory moments like that, which I could mention many more. I really, the really biggest thing, and it was my hunch when we came into it, and it's 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 born true, is making friends with men and women who are uh, 
some a little, others a bit more older than me. Mm-hmm. Which sounds which sounds obvious, but I, I actually, you know, I believe that we are damaged through relationships, but we are only healed through relationships. Mm. That you cannot heal in isolation, no matter how good the content. And, you know, it's almost as, uh, as this stuff has come up from my upbringing and my past that I didn't know was there. Mm. And in many ways, I felt more fragile and aware of my anxiety and my proneness to melancholy uh, and my emotional fragility has come up. The healing that has really begun through consistent, unhurried time in the physical presence of Mm. more stable, secure men and women who are older, who have done the hard work of, of really becoming more stable, secure people embodying that element of Christ that he doesn't need me. He loves me, but he doesn't need me. And he's not volatile. Those two keys seen in actual men and women month upon month with flesh and blood has been almost neurologically rehardwiring me in a way that nothing else could do. And, uh, and that's what's so breathtaking, particularly living in San Francisco, which is so transient and so many very young people, um, it's very difficult to find a collection of soulful men and women who are in midlife and older who who can literally embody to you something of the trustworthiness of Christ, which I think is the deepest need of all of us. Mm. Wow. That's really powerful. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And was there something, Tom, for you that, um, I mean, besides the things you shared that really surpri- surprised you? I think one of the things you, you said that struck me is that just realizing, wow, this this uh, aspect of sharing in Christ's suffering or companioning him, we use that mm. term a lot, in his suffering, was kind of, a, oh, that was, in a sense, you'd say, wow, that's, I guess that's obvious, but it was it was fresh or new and it, mm. and, and how mm. it struck you, whether any other things that, that just sort of caught you by surprise a bit um, or unexpected in, in your, in these, in this journey. So that was, that was huge for me. Um, I think uh, the work on um, ordered and disordered attachments mm. was also a huge, uh, a huge um, piece of content that I'd sort of heard of but never really unpacked. Um, and I think just gave language for this sort of, um, you know, not a sort of uh, a stoic denial of good things and that we just need to exist, you know, in sackcloth and ashes and not need anything. Um, but at the same time, not clinging to things in a possessive way, which, which leads to, um, you know, falling off the horse on the, on the other side. That was hugely, hugely helpful. Um, uh, I think also the daily examine, that has been, I think I was doing something a bit like it, but the quote that I think your good self made, Richard, or someone, someone, I think it was you, you said something like, we don't change through, oh no, 
It's gone. It was something that we don't change through encounters, but we change through. I think it was, uh, and, and I'll give credit to I think Terry, and we all get it from somebody else. So <laughs> it, it's uh, so we we don't any of us take credit, but uh, it's that we don't um, we don't learn from experience. We learn yeah. from reflecting on our experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was huge as well. So it's just felt like a huge toolkit, mm. and. Um, the honest truth is, it is it is without parallel. I have done so many trainings and so many different things. I think the content of the training, the level of detail that went into uh, every single session was breathtaking. Um, from the gifts that were given that were really, really moving, the um, just the consistent kind of um, almost relentless focus on we're here for you. You don't need to sort of be pastors to us. It was such an unusual environment. I mean, it's compl- it really is unlike anything I've ever experienced. So intentional, that kindness and that sort of um, us focused focusness. Um, I think even the physical locations of things, honestly, I'm from Britain you know, which a lot of Brits, all they talk about is value for money, as if we're still in the Second World War. You know, rationing still exists. So <laughs> I, I, it's been quite moving for me, who's, who has who struggles to believe God's got enough money for me, mm-hmm. to come and to eat meals that are really beautiful and to mm-hmm. be in a place that is, is wonderful and to just feel like this is all a free gift. This is all a free gift. Um, because actions speak so much louder than words. And really from the opening retreat, when without giving any spoilers away, I won't, but when the theory of God's kindness to you suddenly was enacted out to us, Mm. I just lost it, which I'm sure everyone did. Um, You know, the combination of honestly craving kindness like I just realized, like my almost like my physical body and and, and my wife Josie, uh, you know, similarly, just a, a sense of we, you know, we we call to what we're doing, we love what we're doing, we love our flock, but honestly, just the loneliness you feel when you're church planting um, here and acts of kindness from people, um, I just I kind of. Uh, it's very difficult to put into words without crying how, yeah. how moving that has been. Um, so really it's felt like this sort of, you know, physical, relational, emotional, mental, spiritual sort of package. Oh. And um, I just want to commend you guys for having so meticulously, obviously reviewed it year upon year so that it's it's become this pretty outstanding thing where it just doesn't feel like there's any sort of um, you know it doesn't feel like there's any sort of filler weeks. There's no kind of like oh yeah this is just passing time or you know it really it really is it is it is brilliant. Yeah, I and I what's what's for me personally is I am one who was <clears throat> a few years ago on the receiving end of soul care as a pastor at that time and. Um, and recipient of it. And I too echo what you said. So I, cause I, it's not something I take credit for is just that I got to experience 
And like you said, there is something that it's without being pointed out. It's just there is an experience of uh, attention, intentionality uh, in in great in all the details. Mm. And 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 what's helped me even now, having now walked through this now for several years, is it's all intended to be. Um, a way to not only care for pastors and leaders who often are the ones doing the giving out and caring, not the only ones, but they, that's a lion's share of what, what we get to do, mm. but very few are in a, pouring into them mm. and to be just simply uh, a receiver of, uh, of, of grace and love and, and it, to be an, uh, also a representation of God's love and to be to embody that as best we can and so um it's encouraging to hear that that is how meaningful that that yeah and i think one thing i said to one of the leaders through tears actually uh i said it to terry who was my um group leader and and i said i think you know people can want to you can have people who want to be kind to you Mm. But if you don't really respect them, it's a little bit mute. It's, it's, it doesn't it doesn't have any power. You're like, oh, thank you. You know, <laughs> if people are like, I think you're great, and you're like, okay. But, <laughs> and the reason I mention that is because I think with every single leader at Soul Care, I really respected them. Hmm. And I said, I said to Terry, I said, I can tell you've done the hard work yourself, so that you actually like yourself. Hmm. Because you can say to someone, oh, I love you, I love you. But if you, like, leak self-hatred, your praise is meaningless. Mm -hmm. So in order for you to be an effective encourager and lover of others, you've got to love yourself, right? Mm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's one of the keys as to why this is so powerful is because every person that God has brought into soul care and leadership, they're not perfect, but there's a fundamental stability and security and you can tell that you as leaders basically like yourselves and love yourselves healthily. Mm-hmm. And so out of a place of fullness, there is a overflow of love. And that feels a hundred times different to, um, to other people who may say they love you, but there's a price. There's yeah. really a price, which is you now need to somehow pay me back because I'm needy. Right. And I realized my soul was like, I trust these people. And there was even one point where I had to f- ask for some change that was personal to one of the leaders. I had to ask for something, and I was really nervous about doing it. And it, it was a kind of defining moment it was right at the beginning. And the way that they responded without a scrap of offense and total love and understanding as to why I asked for something to be a little different, it was so unusual to be met with that. It was like a little indicator of like, this is a bit of a rare group of men and women who who don't need you, but they're for you and they love you. And and that is a little taste of heaven right there. It's mm. good. You're just you're talking about freedom too. There's that freedom mm-hmm. to love without, like you said, without needing, you know, um, needing something in return. Yeah. Well, Tom, well, thank you. Um, what, when you think about, because, you know, we just completed this nine month cycle and, and thankfully we'll, we're going to stay connected and mm-hmm. you and I got to hang out even last week down in my neck of the woods, which was really mm-hmm. fun and hope 
can do that. But what do you what do you hope to carry with you, um, you know, moving forward after this after this cohort experience you had? Yeah, I mean, the way I would summarize it, um, and we were asked to kind of write down a, a couple of words or something, um, is intentional soulfulness. So or t- intentionally soulful. Um, and I think that's the best I can do at summarizing what genuinely feels like a treasure trove of um, tools that I have been given um, week, uh, month upon month that if I'm diligent to apply them, the, I think that the rewards will continue to just get ever, ever greater. Um, so I think, I think it, but it, at, at its heart, I feel like I, for the first time in my life would say, I'm, I actually quite like myself. <laughs> um, and I know that sounds strange, but I do. And I think the specific ingredient is I'm becoming more soulful Whoa. and I'm reframing pain and difficulties and limits and setbacks, they're still hurt like heck, but reframing it now as God's gifts to enlarge my soul and to make me more um, grounded, more compassionate, more grateful, slower, Mm. softer, Mm. more sorrowful, and... um, more content to be smaller actually mm. um and i think i think the tools that i've been given the call for me is just to keep getting them out sharpening them using them trying them and uh, i think that's one of the other final things i'll say that is that is so wonderful about the material it's not just this body of theology it's it is contemplative spirituality which obviously is a, a practice-based way of approaching spirituality that is so wonderful. Um, things to do um, to enable you to live in the reality um, of the kingdom of God rather than just hoping that it will happen. Cindy Collister. Cindy, um, first, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, what uh, what are you doing these days in, in life and in ministry? What, where do you find yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Cindy, and I am I serve as the executive director of Current Silicon Valley, which is a church startup in Mountain View. And uh, we started to plant this church about six years ago. Um, I lead it together with my husband David, and we have two kids that are at ten and eight. They're at a super fun age, and so. Uh, We have the privilege of uh, serving together with a lot of uh, families, young families um, that we do life and ministry with, a lot of young professionals um, that are coming here after college to 
make a difference and uh, find meaning and be able to apply their skills in the marketplace. And we get a chance to tell them about Jesus and um, invite them into community because mm. the Silicon Valley can be a really lonely place. Yeah. I mean, when I think of even just the idea of, I mean, with well, a startup culture, of course, but yeah. starting up a church, um, I, if I can just take a moment, what, what made you and your husband want to start a church period and then start one in Silicon Valley of all places, just out of curiosity? Yeah, I mean, it's not something that, you know, you necessarily uh, just wake up one day and think to do, um, for sure. Uh, my, my background is actually um, in the marketplace. Uh, I did management consulting after college and then uh, worked for Gap for a number of years doing online strategy. Um, and my husband actually is a fifth generation pastor. Uh, his parents were church planters also. And so he saw them plant a church in San Diego and then again in Berkeley um, as a kid. And so it was always kind of in his mind that, you know, there, there is a significant impact when um, the dynamics of church planting, I think, unlike anything else, really uh, force and um, encourage, you know, a, a seeing of your neighbors and, and the unchurched neighbors around us um, and wanting to include them uh, into community. And so he had always kind of said, oh, maybe I always knew he was going to be a pastor. I knew I was marrying a pastor. So mm. that wasn't, um, you know, a surprise. But he did mention at some point when we were dating, oh, you know, maybe someday, you know, God could tell us to plant a church. And I didn't think anything of it because I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> Um, but, um, about six years ago, seven years ago, um, we were working at an established church, um, here, uh, in the Silicon Valley. David was the pastor of young adults. I had a consulting business. Um, so I wasn't working vocationally, um, but I would support him, uh, you know, with the, with the uh, young adults and we had young adults in our home all the time and it was really fun. Um, and about four years into that, um, we had learned and grown a lot. Um, you know, we started to feel like maybe uh, God was calling us onto something new and we didn't know what it was. Um, so we started to pray about it. David started to talk to the leadership about it and, um, you know, about six months of praying. Um, and uh, David had what we like to call the car moment. Um, mm. He was on his way to a conference. And, you know, he says he's never experienced this and hasn't since, um, but just felt overcome um, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he asked what we had been praying, which is, you know, um, God, what, what is it that you want us to do next? And it was just very clear. It was time to plan a church and specifically ministering to young professionals in the Silicon Valley. Um, and, you know, when, when all of that came out, um, you know, it, it felt logical, but, um, you know, also very scary. And, uh, you know, in the moment, I think, um, you know, the way that we put it was, um, we could afford to be wrong, but we couldn't afford to disobey. And so, mm. um, that's what got us going. On wow. Wow. Well, and if, and if we fast forward, so you, you've, I'm sure there's a, a many stories around the, the journey of planting a church, um, yeah. that it's both, uh, breathtakingly, beautiful and sometimes just breathtaking in terms yes. of it's how hard and challenging it can be and and even painful but mm -hmm. but so fast forward though you're several years into your church plant and now we're gonna kind of set the scene a little bit as you uh before last september you're what we're about a year a year and three mm -hmm. months into a worldwide pandemic mm -hmm. you are still doing this church plant you're a mom of two young kids you and your husband are, you know, uh, co-leading this 
church. Mm-hmm. Um, what was happening inside of you at that point? I mean, there's a lot of challenges and stresses that I just named. What was going on in you? Yeah. Um, I think in that moment, I was just totally exhausted. Mm. Um, you know, I think starting a church in such a ridiculously expensive area that also expects a high level of excellence um, means doing more with less on a regular basis. Hmm. And I think, um, you know, at that point, I had pretty recently transitioned from being bivocational. The first couple of years uh, of planting, I actually had, I held on to my consulting business um, and also worked for the church. Uh, and, um, we had young kids and I just kind of got used to burning the candle at all hours in order to get everything done. And the pandemic on top of it kind of built a dynamic of making decisions constantly that impacted a lot of people I loved without feeling like we had enough information to make them properly. Mm. You know, it was just decision fatigue was very real and, um, it felt really heavy. Um, and I think, I had lost track of what I enjoyed doing because there was so much to do all the time. And um, it kind of just got, I mean, Enneagram one with a strong two wing. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to do everything well um, and kind of started finding my identity too much in doing things well and on time for everybody else and helping everybody else. And, um, you know, kind of somewhere in there, I got lost. Um, I forgot what I enjoyed. I forgot that how God, that how God made me is unique. Um, and that when we're intentional about kind of operating out of how he made us, that it's glorifying to him. You know, I was just operating. Um, mm. And uh, my husband had, uh, David had gone through soul care two years prior. And every time he came home, he was always saying, you would love this. Um, and he was right. I really loved it. <laughs> yeah. So so if I were to capture it a few words, I mean, even how you, as you were coming into soul care, I hear words like exhausted and weary, yes. Um, yes. worn down from life and decisions and decision fatigue. Um, and spiritually, I don't know, would you say, would it be fair to say kind of on autopilot or how would you describe yeah, that? Yeah. And also just feeling like, um, I was carrying it instead of allowing Jesus to carry it. Mm. You know, I was really carrying, um, the weight, yeah. um, I came in really carrying it on my own. Mm-hmm. Well, and as you just described yourself, you know, Enneagram one, um, uh, a high achiever, a high achiever in a high achieving kind of space, uh, in community. So yeah, performance, right. You know, mm-hmm. got to do it all right. That's mm-hmm. a, that can be a real way too. Yeah. Wow. Not wanting to disappoint people is really mm. heavy. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So the, and, and then of course what we've seen a lot through the whole pandemic and beyond to its surface is it seems like, especially I, we've heard again and again from pastors and ministry leaders is not wanting to disappoint people. It, and yet, and yet at the same time, people seem to be disappointed all the time. And so yeah. carrying that weight too. Right. Yes. Yeah. Man. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so then as you enter into soul care, that's what's going on. What are ways that maybe God met you then through your soul care experience? Mm. I don't even know where to start. I mean, um, we did a, we did a piece of art at our closing retreat, um, that I've kept at my bedside since, um, has a bunch of waves on it. Um, I really love water and it mm. says, Freely and lightly, because mm. um, I think soul care for me was really um, 
a beautiful invitation from God to live freely and lightly, that that's what he wants for me and that mm. it's okay to do, not only okay to do, but um, what he wants me to do. Um, mm. And I think that heaviness that I brought in um, was really ministered to throughout the year, I think through relationships, um, through Terry, my spiritual director, through my small group, um, and I think through time, you know, really set aside to walk with the Lord. You know, a lot of times uh, at our retreats when we had our our time, I would just go walk the neighborhood and, mm. um, you know, realized how I really didn't have a lot of space for myself in my daily life. Um, and it, that really ministered to me. I think it was a forcing mechanism to remind me how to spend time on my own. Um, you know, when you're a mom of young kids, someone always needs you. My staff, you know, um, you know, you know, needs me. I felt like people needed me a lot, you know, and, um, I think just to have permission, I I love that you guys made us sign a contract because if I'm honest, um, there were some Tuesdays where I would wake up and be like, there is no way that I can go this month. Mm. I'm like, there's no way. And then I would be reminded, uh, that I had signed a contract (laughs) and by myself, no one was guilting me. I, my, my inner self was telling me that I had signed a contract and that I had to go and it forced me to leave the office or wherever I was, you know, to get there. And um, it was always a relief um, when I actually uh, sat there and was able to experience the retreat. But, you know, in the moment, you just feel like there's no way, right? There's no way I can pull, pull out. And so that, that um, cadence of, of uh, spending time, you know, intentionally with God and on my own on a monthly basis was just really precious to me. Mm. Um, I think the the other thing that I, I really identified about halfway in was I loved that uh, the retreats were set up where we were not allowed to make any decisions. I mean, we were never told the schedule other than when you arrive and when you depart. And you just had to go from thing to thing. And when you are the one always telling everybody where to go and what to do, that was just so delightful. Mm. I mean, I would just arrive and know that I had no choices to make. It actually got to the point where whenever we walked into dinner and if our seats were not assigned, I would intentionally go walk over to an empty table because I didn't even want to choose who I was sitting next to. And there were so many people that were delightful that I wanted to get to know. So I just figured I would let people choose me. I (laughs) love that. decided that Tuesdays I just wasn't going to make any decisions. Once a month, I would make no decisions. <laughs> I love that. And and we have heard that mm-hmm. often. It's just the idea of, you know, not that you had no idea. Many spiritual leaders know how to have some idea of what it might look like to tend to their soul, but but to be led, to, to be able to yeah. receive the gift of being led. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm curious too, Cindy, because it's a very, you know, um, achieving and responsible um, and caring person. What what do you think it is that makes it difficult at times for for leaders, even Christian leaders, to make time or space to actually care for their own soul? We're so busy caring for everybody else. What is it that makes it hard to care for our own soul? Like you said, to even prioritize that. Yeah, no, it's such a good question. I mean, I think that you know when you're when I was younger, a lot of my rhythms were based on you know, and I didn't come to faith in a Christian family, so I actually didn't have you know, the model of it as a child, right? Um, I had amazing parents, um, but they weren't followers of Jesus. And the models that I had of it um, were kind of um, 
based on learning it as young adults, right? Mm. When you don't have a lot of people needing you all the time, right? Mm. You know, you wake up and you journal and you read scripture. And gosh, when you have young kids, like that's just, that's not a thing, you know? (laughs) Um, It's really difficult, right? Mm. And, um, you know, I had one child that was just not a good sleeper at all. And so I had to, you know, I think I had learned to find rhythms like driving, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, when just like meeting God in places that, you know, I uh, didn't need to do as a young adult because I could carve out space or I had the luxury to be able Mm -hmm. to set aside space that I just hadn't had. And I think um, as spiritual leaders, a lot of times we think that also um, the work that we're doing is um, you know, so spirit, you, you kind of, you, a lot of times you're studying scripture, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to preach a sermon, you're studying scripture for a Bible study, you know, you're studying scripture to lead a staff meeting, right? And the soul care element of it really has to be without product, right? Yeah. And, um, and I think to be able to set aside time to be with God without producing mm-hmm. is I think one of one of the struggles when you are responsible for so much, um, you know, on a regular basis and to have somebody else create that space for you is when you're used to creating that space, you might be actually really good at creating that space for other people, right? Um, you might, you know, be uh, very skilled at creating a restful, you know, small group space, you know, or different things like that. But um, to have somebody create it for you in a way where you don't know what's coming, it's mm. just really precious. And yeah. I think resets you in a way that um, it did for me um, in re- remembering what it's like um, not to come into time with God um, in a very prescribed way. Mm, I like that. Not prescribed and then not producing. Mm-hmm. I think that's so much of um, you know, our, our surrounding culture, but also yes. I think in the church too, as a Christian leader, we're always, even if I'm, if you're preparing a message or preparing to yes. lead something and it's often with the lens of other folks as, as opposed yes. to, even though it's a spiritual activity, if you will, mm-hmm it's our own soul often gets sort of bypassed in that process, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so God, it sounds like God really did, you know, meet you did. It, I mean, it's not like circumstances all just magically improved over these nine months externally, did they? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny though, because you get, you become, at least for me, I became much more aware of ways that God was working in my hmm. life. I think one of the, the biggest things for me was, um, permission to actually express, like be be in touch with my real desires mm. and to express them to God, right? Mm. And um, to see him work through them. And a lot of times, sometimes prayers were answered very specifically, but sometimes it was just an awareness that God was walking with me in it, mm. right? And feeling little ways where he met me, um, in the day to day, uh, that, you know, I hadn't been as conscious of because mm. I didn't feel permission to tell God that this was lacking in my heart or in my mind or in my life. Um, mm. and I think part of that actually, um, was experiencing, um, relationships with, uh, many more chronologically advantaged people than myself. <laughs> That's what and, a great term. <laughs> um, I didn't. I you know. I I I feel like it was. Um, 
It was just such a gift because uh, our church is very, very young. And mm. as I mentioned, I my parents um, were not believers when I was growing up, by God's grace, um, they became so um, before mm. my dad passed away. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't have a lot of um, people with more life experience that are in my life on a very regular and, um, how to say, intentional way mm -hmm. where we're talking about things in a very deep way. And I think, you know, watching Terry become a grandma over the last mm -hmm. year, right, while we were doing spiritual direction, um, getting to chat with all of you guys, with um, Patty and John, um, you know, at the retreats and you, Richard, you know, and just hearing the things that you guys are going through. And, um, you know, Patty, uh, you know, just uh, living life so full and um, being able to do such meaningful work um it just mm -hmm. gave me a vision that like i'm nowhere close i'm nowhere close to to being done and i i want to do this uh, healthily and well i mean i think it was a vision for um you know how to live in a way that's really glorifying to god in the long term you know mm. and um and feeling just so loved and cared for and safe mm. you know in these relationships was really special to me um, I just felt like I could bring my whole person and I didn't need to hide parts of myself. And um, that was that was really special um, wow. for me. I yeah. love that. Mm -hmm. I love that that um, the team that God put together put together in Soul Care, that it gave you a space to feel like you could be your whole self and mm -hmm. and that there wasn't a sense of, um, I don't know, needing to show up as a... Uh, as a more together or more, mm -hmm. um, you know, anywhere, uh, anywhere other than where you are. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, we're going to have to hold on to that term. I love that. Uh, I, I like to tell my kids, I'm just a little more seasoned, you know, but I like chronologically advantaged. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I didn't make it up. I, I can't remember who to credit to, but I just want to be clear. It doesn't come from me. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. I, I don't, in our culture, we don't, we, we don't consider it usually an advantage, but that's good. Yeah. That's good. I like it. <laughs> Oh, well, so, uh, such, such good things. I love to hear it. So, uh, I, I know folks listening are encouraged to hear what, what do you hope to carry with you? Maybe a couple of things out of your, this nine month soul care experience. Hmm. I think definitely just that reminder to live freely and lightly and that God desires that, uh, for, for me and for people around me that I love, you know, I think um, it's very easy not to live that way in the Silicon Valley mm. and to allow the pressures of everything um, to compress on you every day uh, in a way um, that for me, I think pushes me away from God uh, mm -hmm. and um the living water that God invites us to um, receive um, is one that does allow us to um, hand over our burdens, um, to be uh, intentional about understanding that although we play a role, um, it is not our uh, ultimate responsibility. Um, right. And I think I, I really want to... Um, continue to learn how to live this way. I definitely have not made it, but mm. uh, having um, that reminder by my bedside every night is really helpful for me. 
Um, I can, think I, can also... I lead in a little bit right there, if it's okay? Mm-hmm. I love those terms, freely and lightly. And I know they kind of come from um, the message translation of Matthew 11, yeah. of Lit Jesus showing us. Yes. Can, is there maybe a, 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 a tangible way that, uh, that God is helping you to live a little more lightly or freely in, yeah. in these days? It's a great question. I think for me, uh, there was a sense of the long view. Uh, I think a lot of what God was doing in me and what I wanted to carry forward was, you know, I think it was a mix of all the things I just talked about, but a little bit of a long view because I think I like to um, when I when I catch vision for something, I want to accomplish it really fast. Mm. Um, and I think a very clear, I think, understanding for me coming out of my soul care year was that the season I am in now is very precious. Mm. In 10 years, there's a lot of things that I want to do that I will still be able to do, but my kids will be 20 and 18, not mm. 10 and 8. Mm. And uh, my relationships with my friends um, will uh, be similarly different, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think the freely and lightly piece for me has uh, included some permission to um, to not sprint in every area at all times, you mm-hmm. know? And, um, and, and I think sometimes that's hard. I think a very tangible example is I've just given myself permission not to respond to every text message right away. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, to some of my friends, um, you know, I'm responding, you know, even a day later. And, um, you know, I think prior to this whole career, I would have felt like I was a terrible person. Um, you know, but I just, I just, uh, I just realized that, you know, not everything needs to happen immediately. And I think in our culture, people expect a text response right away. And I think permission to, um, to wait and do certain things slower and, um, and, and to trust God with it, frankly, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, and, and for me, that's difficult. And I think it's permission to slow down in certain areas um, and permission to enjoy uh, time with my kids and trying to carve out what that looks like um, in this particular season, um, to enjoy time with my husband and time as a family. Um, you know, we've been on mission together, like very intentionally for the last six years and we love it. And we do, we do it very joyfully. My kids love church and mm-hmm. I don't want that to change at all. Um, and a lot of that, I think, um, you know, as they become youth, you know, wanting to be intentional about what we're saying yes and no to as demands on their time change, um, you know, and wanting them to love God and to love the local church and to love that, you know, their parents are in ministry um, and to not feel like it's a has to um, and that certain things can happen a little bit slower and that's okay. Um, you know, even as we're really intentional about prioritizing people who need care, you know, mm-hmm. and I think there's a there's a there's always a tension there, and that's never going to go away. And so I think the freely and lightly, I think there's a sense of, you know, what's my responsibility and how do I do it as well as I can and then trust God with the rest. Yeah, what a great image. It seems like, too, I hear in that um, in that perspective of the long term that you're holding and, and holding for yourself and your family and the, in the ministry, there's also this, I hear faith in there, trust that I like – 
I'm going to choose to respond in the ways that God's inviting me to and prioritizing in the ways that God's inviting me to and trust God with sort of the outcomes of that and how others receive it. And, but I also am struck by what a great image that is or a picture that is in, when I think of Silicon Valley, um, freely and lightly are not words associated with no. it. It's, it's mm-hmm. immediately and have mm-hmm. to, right. Mm-hmm. And, and weight and responsibility. And, and yet to, to invite people, even just by your own life, by your own um, way of being into a way of Jesus that is so counter to the culture around you um, seems really powerful too, just to even lean into embodying that. Yeah, so, I, wa- I want to. Yeah. It doesn't happen, it doesn't happen all that well all the time. Mm. But I think that Soul Care gave tools and I think that's part of carrying it with me and it's also gave relationships. I just got a text mm. this morning from one of the gals in my soul care cohort saying she was thinking of me and and I you know texted back and just you know praying for us to live freely and lightly. And I think there's relationship there that um, having been through the same shared language and shared mm. tools mm. that we can encourage one another in you know on an ongoing basis. Um, and and also honestly that I feel like I'm equipped and better equipped to help. Um, you know, I think particularly of the working moms in my church that hold so much. I mean, um, at home, at work, in the church, and um, to together, you know, kind of be able to ponder what it looks like to disrupt some of those mm. um, patterns that you were just mentioning, because, mm. you know, there really is um, a, a very um, strong uh, current pressure. Um, that's actually part of the vision of our church is to disrupt kind of that that pressure of the Silicon Valley with living water. And what does that actually look like? And I think Soul Care offered some tools mm-hmm. and language um, to be able to help move in that direction for my own life. And hopefully that I can share in, in a generative way with my friends. Oh, that's powerful. Thank you. Wow. Can I ask, and this is going to be a little bit of a right turn here, Cindy, because, but I was kind of given a little bit of a hint by Terry that, um, that you had some thoughts even about the impact soul care in a more broad sense is made even, um, and is making on the church planting kind of perhaps culture ethos. Can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, I, I've just heard hints of this, but maybe could you yeah. speak to that? Yeah, I think, you know, about halfway through uh, this soul care year, you know, I started to think about the impact that I wonder, um, you know, the, the I think bigger picture, this, the church planting uh, movement in the Bay Area uh, has been one um, that has really um, gained momentum, I think, over the last decade. Mm. Um, this area used to be the what they would refer to as the graveyard for church plants because mm. of just the unique dynamics of being here. Um, it's really difficult. Um, it's really expensive. Mm. Um, it's very post-Christian in culture. Um, and uh, a lot of church plants would come here and 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 not be able to thrive. And um, so a lot of efforts from a lot of uh, amazing uh, churches uh, have come together over the last decade um, to really encourage uh, church planting in the Bay Area. We're part of several networks that we love um, right. and have been a huge part of current story. And, um, you know, as I, as I thought about why, you know, 
Wellspring and Patty and Terry and all of you guys started soul care uh, and experiencing it on my own, I realized, you know, there is something really beautiful and unique about what is encouraged through soul care, you know, in the sense that you're you're really encouraged to operate out of a sense of acceptance, right? Mm-hmm. And that what you steward is not your own. And that, you know, we're really part of a bigger picture, right? Even the cohort that we experience, a very diverse group of Mm -hmm. church leaders coming together. Um, You get to know people. You don't even know people's titles in churches for a while, you know, and that's on purpose. And you really just get to know the people. And um, I think there's something about that that I almost wonder if it's uh, had an impact, I think, on the ability for the church planting movement to really take off in in the Bay Area, because I don't think church planting is possible without the support of other local churches and an uncommon unity. And the reality is that requires healthy leaders that are willing to release, that are willing to be generous, that are willing to support other church plants that are starting in the area. And I know several of our most supportive um, churches went through soul care. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I just would not underestimate the impact that um, this soul care ministry has, you know, had uh, even on, you know, other kingdom efforts here in the Bay Area over the last decade in creating healthy leaders and reproducing healthy leaders. And I think the beautiful thing about it one of my mentors, I was saying to Terry, one of my mentors, actually professional mentors, um, he had given me an exercise uh, to, you know, think about the kind of leader that I want to be. And it was such a meaningful exercise. This was even before I started Soul Care and um, to write it down and to be able to refer back to it. And then we got to the closing retreat and I realized, oh my goodness, that's a Soul Care exercise. Here I am doing it at the closing retreat again. And he had taken it and was generative and he was passing it on, you know, to church leaders that he was coaching. And so um, there's something really beautiful about that. And I think um, there's a lot of intangible fruit, I think, um, that comes out of creating healthy leaders in an area like this. So thank you guys for what you do. Finney. Uh, Abraham, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today. Um, Finney, first of all, just tell us about your uh, your work. What are you doing right now? What's your role? Yeah, uh, Richard, thanks for uh, having me. Yes, my name is Finney Abraham, and I am one of the pastors of Westgate Church. I am the local compassion pastor. Uh, that basically means I do everything outside the walls of our church, uh, work uh, collaboratively with uh, local governments, nonprofits, churches, in order to serve our city and county. So that's what I've been doing for uh, about five years now. Yeah, and and I, you and I've had some conversation about this, but this level of uh, the level of engagement and activity ramped up tremendously during the pandemic. Is that? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so being involved in the community and being connected with local government um, has been part of the strategy and the culture of Westgate for a while. Mm-hmm. And when the pandemic hit, uh, there was a communication gap between um, folks who were making decisions about shelter in place and other things and faith communities, because um, you know faith communities and local government working in tandem was just not there. Like no one did it. And so because of that, I almost ended up becoming, um, 
you know that middle person between local government and nonprofit uh, and and faith communities. So our our lead pastor at that time, Steve Clifford, had a pastors meeting where about 40, 50 pastors would come and I would communicate to them about what the county is doing. And this created a, a, a new wave and a, a new trust relationship with local government mm. um, uh, and and also taught us how to work, how to, uh, you know, play ball with local government when it comes to uh, faith uh, communities and faith related stuff. And it's been it's been uh, really eye opening for both sides, I believe. Yeah, it seems like that both probably the government probably learned a lot about that they didn't know about faith communities and churches. And then it seems like that um, that the faith community and churches learned how to how to basically, like you said, play ball or interact uh, in ways that would be constructive and even seen as like, hey, we want to be a blessing and serve our community. It seems like that that conversation really advanced during this last season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when the initial first uh Shelter-in-place happened 2020 March in Santa Clara County. It was interesting. Faith communities was not uh, even mentioned there very clearly. <laughs> and it's because they really, at that time, nobody knew how how intense this this would go, how long even this would go. Mm-hmm. We all hoped that it would end in two weeks. Um, and so so they, they really thought that, I mean, local government really thought that this is a small group of people probably who are going to church and stuff, and it's not a big deal and then they realized no there are churches where probably thousands of people come and uh and they had to create a model and and uh, it was a privilege for us to work closely with them to help them uh, uh, create some of this and that led to local government realizing how uh impactful faith communities are and Mm. some of the works that we can do so that led to us focusing on poverty in santa clara county we had a program called um uh, United Against Poverty Pandemic that was very closely working with local government when folks were uh, losing their jobs um, by supporting them through rent and uh, making sure that thousands of people are not uh, going to go to the streets because they couldn't pay their rent. Mm. Uh, so we strategically worked on a lot of efforts and it still continues. Um, like, for example, we're doing a church-wide hygiene kit drive for the homeless community uh, not we're not doing it. The city is doing it in order to reach out to homeless folks mm-hmm. and let them know about resources of this uh, uh, that the city provides. But they're doing it by giving this hygiene kits that we are able to provide. So we're able to really work um, closely. And one of the things I also do is um, this is not just only for Westgate Church. Uh, God has given us a favor to be there, and uh, I. I, I get to um, share these connections and uh, almost like be a, um, a voice of uh, our you know churches who are aligned with us, mostly evangelical churches uh, for, for uh, at the local government uh, level. And so there's several churches who works alongside collaboratively since 2020 uh, oh. to serve to serve to serve our city. So a lot of good things have happened uh, because of yeah. that. I mean, it is beautiful to see even how to, how out of something as painful and difficult as a pandemic mm-hmm. uh, that we experience how something um, wonderful like people stepping up and churches stepping up to serve and even building greater bridges between faith communities and the local government. I, that's beautiful to see um, how God's brought that about and how you've been really integral in that. So, but with all of that, I'm guessing as you came into soul care, I mean, 
tell me how you how were you doing? I mean, that was that's a lot. You suddenly went. It seems like you went from zero to a hundred. Well, not zero, but you went to a hundred plus. Yeah. In terms of your responsibility and um and probably and you were also in school right at the time. I mean, you had a lot on your plate. And oh, and by the way, also what you just had twins. How that's long right. ago? Uh, they're 11 months now. Yeah. So just a few things going on. How were you, how were you doing at the, you know, nine, a little over nine months ago? Yeah, no, great question. And, uh, so when the pandemic hit, um, I had my, uh, for my two-year-old now who was, uh, three months old at that time. Hmm. And, uh, so all of us were trying to figure out how to take care of, uh, infant in the midst of pandemic. Uh, which itself was very complicated. Um, yeah. uh, I, I mm. remember this, that my oldest son, uh, Johan, was literally not even touched by anyone other than me and my wife for about seven, eight months. That mm. there was absolutely nothing outside. There was, it was, you know, just like everybody. I'm sure it's mm. not just me. There's, there's a lot of other parents who went through the same kind of thing. And, um, and then I was doing all of this uh, work and it was all new because, you know, the traditional things that we would do at church was all different and changed. But the outward focused um, compassion stuff was just a lot because that year we had so many crazy things. There was major fire. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there were a lot of other things that was there, including yeah. the, the pandemic. And we got to respond to all of that. Mm. That uh, affected me without even me actually knowing it affected my body. I... I got shingles uh, in oh, the wow. of all of that. And, uh, and my leadership was very, very, very supportive. Um, uh, my executive pastor, Dan Perkins, uh, came and talked to me and said that I need to slow down. And, you know, I mean, these are all things I like to do. That's why I get involved. It was not like it didn't feel work to me, hmm. but it was a lot. Uh, and I didn't even recognize that. And, and that's when soul care was mentioned to me and said that, hey, this would be a good thing for you to take um, in the upcoming year and uh, and see how it can help you in your leadership personally with you, your family and all of that. And um, so I heard it in the middle of pandemic. And I think so in the next round when um, things were opening up is when uh, my name was suggested by a couple of my friends, um, uh, Dan and others, Kayvon and uh, David Kim and others. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I, you all prayed about it and I was in the cohort and I got selected. And when we started soul care, I had twins and they were six weeks old. That's crazy. There were six weeks. And I remember my wife telling that this is going to be good for you and you should go. And, Uh, and my mother-in-law came and stayed with Susan for a week, um, so that I could be at the retreat for a couple of days. Um, so from right there. I knew that it was the right time for me to be a part of this because there was mm. ministry, there was family, there was other things that I was involved in, and and soul care definitely gave me perspective. Mm. Yeah, I mean, wow. I mean, it just like I, I even I, I feel exhausted just hearing about all mm-hmm. that was on your plate at that time. But but as you come and 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 that that's got to be hard in some ways. You're like I'm leaving my wife home with the, these, these twins and. And now I'm going to go away for the, our soul care. For those who may not know, begins with a two-day opening retreat in which we invite people to just kind of unplug and give themselves to this time. How, how did God begin to meet you even in uh, in that time, you know, as you as you come away? 
Yeah, I, I think so. God prepared me and Susan uh, for this. Um, and I like the process that uh, y'all had, which was like, hey, we're going to really pray about this. And and if you're selected, that means that, you know, uh, it's going to be the right fit. Because people also told me that if you're not selected, don't 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 feel anything bad about it. It's just like this is not the year. Um, this is just not the right time, probably for for God to you to be in this cohort. They're really praying about it. So that gave me a lot of confidence that you know your processes and mm-hmm. and and getting me in was a God thing. I felt that this is the time I have to be. Mm-hmm. So right from the first retreat, uh, Richard, I should tell you, um, I, I felt. Um, a peace in my soul and very, very specific ways, right? Um, obviously, through this, the first retreat where we talked about the abundant abundance of God's love, mm. how, how big he is and mm. uh, the way you guys organized it through uh, the movie and through, uh, through the amazing dinner. And, and the, you know, the six weeks, uh, infants, you don't sleep. So that was probably the first time I slept for, a stretch of five hours when I wow. came to the retreat. And I remember Patty telling me, uh, take rest, use this time. Uh, you know, if you, if you want to sleep more, it's okay. And, mm. you know, it just gave me permission. You know, yeah. I should tell you, one of the things that happened at Soul Care was Soul Care gave me permission to do things mm. that I felt um, otherwise I felt I should not, right? I mean, things like, oh, uh, you know, can I come and take rest? And, you know, like, yeah, it's okay. Take rest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, it gave, so the, that the feeling of uh, you're doing the right thing, let, let us support you. Uh, the only way I can explain this is that it gave me permission. Yeah. To do certain things. And then taking time to connect with God. Mm-hmm. Honestly, in the midst of all of this, you know, my routine is to pray in the evening with my family, read the scripture, all of that. But I think so after a long time, I really connected with God in that mm. ritual. And, and I realized, uh, there's something that Patty always talks, all of you have talked, that leading from an empty cup mm-hmm. will lead to all kinds of insecurities, you know, mm. all kinds mm. of questions. But leading from the overflow, not even the filling of it, from the overflow, uh, and that can that can only come from God. That cannot come from skill. That cannot come from mm. training. That cannot come from anything hard work. It only comes from God. I think it's really powerful what you're describing too, because you know, Finney, just even as we've heard what, what you do and, and just who you, knowing a little bit of who you are. I mean, you're you you work very hard. You're a very diligent, responsible, capable person. And I think it's hard many people in life, especially in ministry, that you know they're working very hard to to serve God and serve others. And like you said, making it sometimes feels like either a, a luxury or almost like um, almost feel guilty about making space and time mm-hmm. to tend to their own soul, their own life with God. And yet how necessary that is. And it's almost like and and no one else is going to sort of force you to do it. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, there's always going to be a, an endless list of, of of need and demand. And so making time. Uh, or being given permission even to have this time to cultivate and attend to your own soul, your own life with God is, is not just a nice idea, but, but deeply needed. Absolutely. Mm. Are there other ways that you feel like God just sort of uh, met you or shifted something in either your, your thinking or, or, or opened you, you know, um, 
connections inside of you that during this whole care experience? Yeah, you know, I th- there's there's this unique thing that um, you know that that happened to me that <laughs> that I should share, um, and and th- this is nothing anything profound or anything. It's just this is what infant uh, parents who have infants think. We always think in terms of kids and, yeah. and pregnancy and all of that. <laughs> but honestly, I should tell you, I I did ask Patty why soul care is nine months. What is the what is the thing behind this nine months? And you know, she she said some reason it was just scheduling and all of that. But honestly, what I felt was, you know, some of the things that we learned week one, uh, first month during the retreat, uh, I think it needed this nine month experience to grow into something. You know, mm. so I, I I take I I saw it like a like a pregnancy stage. Yeah. You know, this seed was put there and it started growing and it it needed its patience, its time, its ups, its downs. Sometimes I get to do really well. Some months I don't and still experience God's grace through the team. And I felt like the last retreat at nine months, something new was born. Mm. Right? It, it, the, the, it took this nine months of waiting for this new thing, new person, new... Uh, uh, experience of I want to be a healthy leader, a healthy individual, a healthy husband, uh, son, all of that. And even though these are all things I knew, I think so. It it it, it needed that nine month process of experiencing God's love and grace and through others in my life for this new person to be born at the end of the nine months. Wow. And and here's a cool thing I feel. So it's an infant, right? And so and this infant is going to make a lot of mistakes and, and go through a lot of wrong areas and all of that, even though they know all the, the right things. And I feel all things you guys are doing, even after we have finished this process, will help us to be on track mm. and, and and continue to uh, be healthy leaders. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I, I think personally the process took me to wanting to not just knowing that I can be a healthy leader, I have the resources for it, but experiencing what does it mean to be a healthy leader for this nine months and actually seeing the difference in my team, right? I, 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 the way I speak to my team, the way I'm confident in my own identity in Christ, mm. the way I accept my mistakes, the um, mm. way I apologize, the way I take ownership. Uh, like, for example, I... There was a little bit of conflict I had with this one person. I'm an Enneagram 9, so I run away from conflict. But mm. because I want to be a healthy leader, I approached this person. I said, hey, you know, I, I felt this about that, you know, the situation. And we got to talk and something beautiful happened out of it. It was not just forgiveness. It was reconciliation that mm. would lead trust. Um, all that, I should say, is from this desire to be healthy that, mm. uh, that, that, uh, that soul care has given me. That's beautiful. I, I love that insight too. And and we do talk about, even at the beginning of Soul Care, we talk about, you know, that is, it is intentional that this is not just a weekend retreat. This is mm-hmm. a nine month, we even call it kind of a nine month long retreat in some ways that mm-hmm. is a nine month conversation, if you will, with you and God. And I love hearing how that idea of that, uh, even that child 
a, um, a pregnancy, if you will, yeah, and that God's yeah. giving birth to something new. I, I love that. And um, I also really love what you said about like, I, I, it's not just, I want to do certain things better. I want to be, I want to be and become mm-hmm. a certain kind of, of person and leader. I love that. Yeah. That's, so, that's wonderful. Yeah. So that's, uh, those are some of the ways that uh, this, this has been helpful for me. That's man. Well, last question, Finney. And so what's maybe what's one thing besides what you've already shared? Is there maybe something else that you would say, I want to carry with me uh, from my soul care experience? Yeah, uh, definitely. Well, there are several things. One is, um, you know, uh, the idea of rest and, Mm. um, you know, taking rest seriously Mm -hmm. and practically what that means, Mm -hmm. like turning off my mobile, turning off my email, focusing and being present in my family. Mm. Um, Yeah, so taking that seriously was one. Uh, Mm. Definitely knowing that my relationship with God has to be strong if I need to be a strong leader. There's no Mm. way, right? Mm. It it cannot be a mundane thing that I just simply do. Mm. That I need to have these moments where I can connect. Mm -hmm. And and, and I should tell you, because in, in seminary, I took all all exegesis classes for my, for my, um, uh, you know, uh, electives, because I just like taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and all of that. Yeah. And I've never taken any spiritual formation class. And it's honestly because I thought, why should I give, pay money to learn how to pray? It just just made no sense to me. I was like, I should, I know how to pray. <laughs> right. I, I'm telling you, it's here that made me realize the value of, uh, uh, learning the spiritual formation stuff because mm. it's it fixes your heart more than your brain. Yeah, exegesis was all about your brain, and this was about my heart. And and at, as I grow older and as I, I I become a mature leader, I feel the heart part is the guard stuff that needs to be healed more than knowing more stuff. So yeah. so spiritual practices taken super seriously. I want to continue that having a spiritual director has been ex- extremely helpful and I want to continue that. So yeah, so those are some of the things that I've taken. Wonderful. Wow. Well, Finney, I just will say personally, I, and we didn't get to spend as much time as I would have loved and I hope to spend more in the days ahead, but it was just a gift to have you as part of this cohort. And, and I just want to thank you for taking some time today to just share um, uh, ways that God has, has met you. And, um, and we're so grateful for the, uh, the work in ministry that you're doing, I think, and uh, in particular in serving the vulnerable, which is so much the heart of Jesus and love that, that churches are coming together to do that. But, but above all, just grateful for who you are, the, a person of humility and grace. And um, yeah, well, again, Finney, thank you so much and um, grateful for you and God's blessing upon you. Yeah. Thanks uh, again. Thanks for investing in my life and uh, uh, pouring into my life and, um, uh, yeah, I'll be taking this wherever uh, I go. So thanks for the investment that you're doing in all leaders in our mm-hmm. uh, in our area. Awesome. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation. If you found it helpful. Feel free to share this podcast with others and subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you found us, and give us a rating. We'd really appreciate that as well. 
Again, if we can serve you as part of Wellspring, we are here to serve the church, both its leaders and people in whatever ways we can. So go to wellspringca.org to see what resources we have to offer and how you can be served by them. Go to our Facebook page, just search Wellspring on Facebook and you'll see lots of resources there as well. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, grace and peace.